Welcome to the Illustrator Studio. I am Jesse Kowalski, Curator of Exhibitions at the Norman Rockwell Museum in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. The Illustrator Studio is a weekly interview series, a project of the museum's Rockwell Center for American Visual Studies. In this episode of the Illustrator Studio, we welcome Donato Giancola. Considered a rock star in the world of fantasy arts, in 2004, Giancola was named Best Artist of the World Fantasy Awards and Best Artist of the Hugo Awards in 2006, 2007, and 2009. He paints in a classical style that isn't comparable to many contemporary artists. I would compare Giancola's work to that of Rembrandt or Peter Paul Rubens. Uh, his admiration for the writings of Gerard Tolkien is made apparent in the numerous paintings he has created depicting the Lord of the Rings saga. He's compiled many of these works in the books Middle-Earth Visions of a Modern Myth and Middle-Earth Journeys in Myth and Legend, which feature more than 200 artworks. Donato, welcome. All right. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, thank you, Norman Rockwell Museum. <laughs> yeah, uh, so you were, you were one of the very first artists I contacted when I was planning the exhibition um, because, uh, you know, you're one of the greats. Oh, well, thank, <laughs> I, thank you. I, I, I'm just one of the guys, one of the people working out there now. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. Thank yeah. So it's for an uh, exhibition this summer. Uh, it opens June 12th, yeah. Enchanted a History of Fantasy Illustration. And uh, your painting, St. George and the Dragon, is actually on the cover of the, uh, the book. Right. Uh, so I guess how does it feel to see your work play such a central role in an art exhibition? Well, I'm uh, very honored, uh, very much so. And actually also feel very lucky because, you know, you, you curated the show and you know how many great works of art are in this thing. And it's just, I, you know, every time I get into a show, I feel lucky to be included amongst my peers and hear a, a historical retrospective. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what was going through your minds, the publisher's <laughs> minds when you had to like juggle, like what image to put on, but uh, you know, very grateful and lucky to be on there uh, on that cover representing the show. Yeah, no, the exhibit, uh, so it covers, you know, uh, well, the book covers 5,000 years of, uh, you know, right. yeah. fantasy, and the, in the exhibit, we have works back to the 1500s or so, um, so it covers, you know, uh, fantasy illustration uh, uh, through a number of uh, number of periods. Um, right. St. George and the Dragon, of course, is, you know, just one of many uh, archetypal images uh, of a man battling uh, the, the beast, you know, that goes back to the Epic of Gilgamesh and, you know, right. 3500 BC. Um, uh, and your painting is such, it's so perfectly composed, such a gorgeous painting. What was your inspiration for painting that one? Well, I mean, St. George, like you said, it, it's got deep mythological historical roots. And I can, you know, immediately as soon as we start talking about St. George and the dragon, the, for me, the iconic image of Raphael's at a miniature painting, I don't know if you've seen it down at the National Gallery. Uh, it is uh, of a little St. George and the dragon. And, you know, I don't, I think it's maybe eight or nine inches tall. Mm -hmm. It's like a manuscript page, but that image just keeps coming back to my mind uh, of, of kind of, humanity against nature, primal forces at play, uh, and also the idea of a kind of a compassionate act that it's St. George rescuing somebody, you know, in service to someone else's needs. So I think that really plays into this wonderful idea of narrative and why I think that's why we have fantasy art now, the, the, the birth of it, the, the growth of it, and the explosion of it is telling stories. And connecting people together over, over stories. 
Well, hey, uh, so connecting people and telling stories. Uh, let's move on to your your childhood. Uh, so I I wasn't uh, I wasn't allowed to play Dungeons and Dragons when I was a kid. You know, no, uh, because, oh. no because of the stigma. You know, and oh. uh, it was awful. But uh, oh, you know what? I remember that there was a uh, a wave. My parents were like devil worshiping, right? Because I had yeah, right. satanic images and things and kids in their yeah, basement with the candles. Even, yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Go, go ahead. No, but I, I, I know that you uh, you played it growing up. What yes. effect uh, did it have on your creative development? None at all. No, no. <laughs> I know it was like probably probably the one of the most instrumental, uh, you know, engagements of in my childhood. Uh, even now, like the, the the repercussions of that. So for you know, Dungeons and Dragons, those who don't really who probably heard of it but you, you basically make up your own story. You know, you have somebody who's guiding you like a writer through a story of what these other characters, the other friends play through. And I think that for me is what I love so much about it was here is a chance for me to make my own stories, make my own world, world building, like making Dungeons and Dragons maps. Uh, I mean, that's actually where I first kind of stepped deep into creativity was distancing myself from the modules that they would have available for most players. And I just made everything myself. I built the world, I drew the maps, populated them and ran the campaigns as a dungeon master for my friends. So that foundation, Jesse, I think laid that laid the foundation for me for the creativity that I then tapped into as a professional. The idea that I'm a world builder. I, 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 I rely on some input from like writers and external sources, but really the internal storytelling gets motivated from within. And that again, dates right back to Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, could you tell us a little bit about your art education? Oh boy, uh, that's a long, twisting path. Uh, <laughs> like, like you, right? You, you, we all draw when we're kids, right? So, I mean, everybody draws. It's a way of, you know, it's like you almost learn to draw before you can almost speak, right? The idea of like image making, mark making, and all that. Um, so, as a young man, a young child, uh, I just drew all the time. I was prolific, just outputting but I didn't have my first official class with a, like an art teacher until I was 20 years old. So wow. I didn't start, yeah. So the, like most of my work, all of my Dungeons and Dragons things, those were all as a hobbyist, as a fan, mm -hmm. as just a creative person looking for outlet. Uh, and it was, so yeah, 20 years, uh, at the age of 20, I picked up my first set of acrylics, uh, tried, painting, realized I needed some help <laughs> immediately. And uh, I took my first drawing class at my, uh, at the University of Vermont. Oh, and great. that slowly set me on my path towards becoming a professional. And uh, so what were your first jobs as a professional? Oh, wow. Uh, well, you know, it, my first job started soon after that very first class oh. is uh, I would I worked retail selling electronics right. and on the chalkboard, we would, uh, there's a chalkboard in our workplace and I would, we used to rent out videos and I would draw 
the new rentals that came in, like ET <laughs> or you know, like uh, Empire Strikes Back. And I draw a little bit of that. And one of the people who came in to rent videos was a local restaurant owner. He saw the artwork, asked if I did anything else. I showed him a few of my new images from my new drawing class. And he hired me to populate his, uh, his uh, restaurant with images from like the 1940s and 50s like Laurel and Hardy and Billie mm -hmm. Holiday and mm -hmm. uh, Citizen Kane. So I did reproductions of these people for his restaurant. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so, there was, so it was actually my first, you know, my first uh, drawing class I ended up getting my first professional work. Like, yeah, do those still exist? Yeah. Do those still exist? Those, some, yes. You know, the, unfortunately the restaurant burned down but they were, uh, somebody found some of those drawings out at a, at a marketplace, like a, on sale. And so, yeah, they, I, I, I verified that those were indeed my originals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned before the impact of art museums uh, on your life. Uh, besides uh, the Norman Rockwell Museum, of course, uh, right. what, what museums do you visit for, uh, for inspiration and what, what draws you to visit art museums? Wow, I, it's like almost more like the question should be what museums don't I visit? Uh, because I, I'm a hound, uh, you know, like the Norman Rockwell Museum focuses on narrative realism uh, and, and contemporary <coughs> illustration as well. Uh, but I think what is, but what I love about museums is the act of discovery, of stepping into these places and discovering something new, a new way to tell the same old stories. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about the experience of both getting uh, ideas, uh, technical ideas, uh, storytelling ideas from those artists from deep in the past. And museums also represent a curated aspect of that work is that you're getting some of the best of the pieces of, of history, of art history, of narrative history, of storytelling and art making. So you walk into a museum, for me, it's it's like walking into like a curated show, like what you guys do at the Norman Rockwell Museum. You're attempting to present to the general public these valuable voices and the most critical aspects of those voices to present to an audience. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what you know, that's why I love going to museums is that it it it's inspiring, and it's uh, again that act of, of wonderful discovery. And who are some of your favorite artists and uh, your favorite pieces that you like to like to look at? Oh, <laughs> for museums! Wow, yeah. that's a lot. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I I here here's here's some example like the even though these aren't this isn't the the end all be all of list, but. Mm -hmm. uh, Back in uh, geez, like 15 years ago, the, uh, there was a Caravaggio painting that came from Ireland to the States. Uh, it was The Taking of Christ by Caravaggio. And I made a pilgrimage up to Boston to see that painting, just that one painting. So, you know, I realized that it's never gonna be in the States again. It'll be forever hung in the National Museum in Ireland, never to leave as a national treasure. So I drove up and met my brother in Boston and we went for the afternoon to go look at this one painting. At least I did. I don't know what he did. <laughs> he was like, I, mean, I think he wandered around a little bit while I took in that painting. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's an example like, uh, so 
Carbaggio, Hieronymus Bosch, uh, and the great classics, Raphael, uh, but also some contemporary artists, certainly uh, the Dungeons and Dragons illustrators uh, from like Keith Parkinson and Jeff Easley, Larry Elmore. I mean, some of these people are, I think are included in your show yeah, uh, sure. as well, right? And mm -hmm. so to be honest, I, I tapped into a, a deep and wide pool of inspiration, Jesse, because I, I just find validation in so many different people, so many different art forms. And, uh, and then I spit it out into my own work. Yeah, since you mentioned it, we'll have the, uh, the uh, very first painting done for the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons set uh, by uh, David Sutherland. Um, yeah, David Sutherland. I mean, that's, that, those images are iconic. Uh, you know, like those are forever burned in my mind. I think Sutherland might have also done The Night in Hell where he's fighting demons. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's another brilliant piece in the player's handbook. Uh, mm -hmm. That's again, that's burned into my head as, as the, the, the stereotypical, you know, passionate knight in armor. And uh, what is it about fantasy that, uh, that interests you? And fantasy art for me is using your imagination and combining that with storytelling, narrative storytelling. Mm -hmm. And so science fiction for me is just the same. It's just using futuristic themes and extrapolated sciences and such. Uh, so fantasy art, well, I guess in some ways it also, it's about revisiting what makes us human. Mm -hmm. Uh, like revisiting like those stories, the, the reconnecting to why we make our choices, what we do, how we interact with each other. And, uh, and art is a wonderful way to kind of revisit these themes and re-digest the reoccurring nature of what, we, what makes us human. So uh, I think the, the greatest part of fantasy is that you're Right, you're using your imagination, so you're just constantly in a flux of possibility uh, as, a, as a creator, as an artist. Yeah. And what, uh, what draws you to J.R. Tolkien and the, the Lord of the Rings? Oh, wow. Uh, and that has deep roots, like, <laughs> like Dungeons and Dragons does. You know, like, uh, you know, it's like the, that taps back into our childhood. Uh -huh. uh, my brother, Michael, handed me the, the Hobbit when I was 13. Uh, he said, here, you might like this book. Uh, this is after, just as after as I started playing Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, like, yeah, that, those are like made for each other, right? I mean, Dungeons and Dragons was inspired by Tolkien. So it was obvious that, you know, The Hobbit, which then led me into The Lord of the Rings and The Silmarillion and The Book of Lost Tales and Unfinished Tales. And all right, so like, like I just dove in. Like I just, this, this rabbit worn and I just, forever and digging around in there. Uh, so, you know, I can't really say what more than that. Uh, it, it's adventure, right? Uh, it is con the idea of conflict and resolution, but also I think friendship, like it's camaraderie, right? It's about people coming together, helping each other. Uh, so I think that's what I love most about the, the novels of what Tolkien did mm -hmm. is that the way you solve problems isn't like warfare doesn't always solve it, right? It's like the way they destroy the one ring. It's, it's two friends who sneak their way in and it's friendship and love of each other that 
saves the day, not the big armies that you know, are attacking Mordor or, or fighting it out mm -hmm. in the battlefield. For you, what do you find is the most difficult part of, of creating a painting? Is it, uh, do you get like a writer's block or uh, is it a matter of coming up with ideas? Uh, well, I think, you know, ideas, I've never had issue with writer's block. Mm -hmm. I've never experienced that. So I've been lucky that, I, again, I think it ties into, like, like I mentioned, like I was a fan and a hobbyist for most of my early my part of my life as I drew. So my art was just a free flow way of communicating, of thinking. So I always, I'd never created uh, impediments to that language. Right, you know, like if like if you, if I worried about my grammar, right? You, some people would never write because they misspell things. They wouldn't get punctuation right, and so it was uh, art and drawing was always free flow uh, of ideas. And so as a professional, again, that uh, that just taps in. Like I just never am without themes and ideas. Uh, I have a, a little bit of a, like a wall over here of little thumbnails. Mm -hmm. So I've got like about a hundred thumbnails of ideas that I'd love to do. Wow. Uh, and those are like, um, like I'm ready, like any moment, like if I have free time, I'm like jumping on that, jumping on that, those things. Um, and uh, what's your process for creating works? Because uh, Rock will like to use photographic reference. Right, oh yeah. Do you use any, any reference photographic or models? And uh, what's your process for, for creating a painting? 100%, like, uh, I mean, Rockwell and, and those illustrators of the golden age, are like they, they helped well they didn't they didn't they, they, they laid a, a very strong foundation in photographic referencing and in part that spoke not so much that they didn't like working from life but the the, the dead the timeliness the deadlines that they had to execute required that they didn't you couldn't have a model pose for weeks on end right you had to yeah. get the image together assemble it uh and actually rockwell like very good at taking like action Right, getting people to pose and like mm -hmm. elaborating the action and uh, embellishing the figure. So, all of those uh, those are all techniques that I use now. Uh, I, uh, the idea of, I mean, everything that is inside my picture, like the Saint George and the Dragon, as an example, that that image, uh, that armor, is an assemblage of knights from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh, the woman or I guess you could see it's a woman. You actually don't even know the gender of these characters, but mm -hmm. there's a, you know, the, the, the woman lying down, the maiden is my daughter, Cecilia. Oh. <laughs> uh, but the dragon, I had to make up the dragon. I don't have a dragon <laughs> liar out, so. But those, but the wings, the, the dragon's wings, I still remember that they're, they're, they're uh, from the American Museum of Natural History in Washington, DC. So the Museum of Natural History, uh, not the Mary, but I think it's, that's the National Museum of uh, uh, natural history is down in Washington DC is a bat uh, I think has a fruit bat there and that's the wings if you go there you can see right that this dragon and the wit and that bat uh, and the, the the images that were inspired by that do you paint at a, at a certain size or does a, the size of the painting kind of depend on the theme or subject uh, I mean, as an illustrator, I do have certain sizes that I, I know paint. you paint. You paint some very large, right? Yeah, like uh, yeah, that's just going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it's it is uh, yeah, there is a bit of whimsy, not whimsy, but 
like if I love an idea passionately, then I break away from my needs to execute it for just as a, a like an illustration for a client for a book cover. And then I'll make it make it larger, add more detail to it. Uh, sometimes even embellish the the, the structure, the, the surroundings a little bit more. Uh, but I have created very large canvases when I've been inspired by the Hudson River School painters like mm -hmm. Albert Bierstadt and Frederick Church. Uh, and those are again, those are fantasy related, but they are on a much more monumental scale. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it it really I think you know almost all artists tend to work like according to, uh, you know, their options, uh, right? You know, mostly they're, you know, like Rockwell was constrained by commercial commissions. Mm -hmm. uh, but in, again, later in life, he started making larger pieces, right? So that they, right? So that's just the opportunity allowed him to spend more labor. And so mm -hmm. therefore he did, he, yeah, you know, he exercised that ability. Uh, all right, so let's get serious here for a minute. Okay, all right. Um, so your work is, is often compared to that of the old masters. Um, but throughout the 20th century, uh, and often still today, um, art critics uh, kind of uh, drawn a line between illustration and fine art. And do you consider, uh, I guess, what do you consider the line? And do you consider yourself an illustrator or a fine artist? Oh. Uh I guess I'm mostly, if you had to, like when I'm filling out my tax forms, I'm calling myself an illustrator. <laughs> uh, but those, again, these are titles that I think other people put on yeah. artists. So I, I think to myself more as just a painter, an artist. Uh, certainly most of my clients have been commercial related, commercial illustration, book covers, game cards, advertising mm -hmm. and things. So yeah, in, in that, that sense of categorizing, I'm an illustrator. But I also came up through in the 90s when everyone was doing traditional media, but digital was switching over. And so back in you know, 15 years ago, when huge waves of artists were switching to digital, I stayed as a painter because I still like making that physical object, that tangible, which is what you, know, you show at the museum, right? There's tangible objects, the physical presence of those artists' choices, those artists' touches, the hand manipulating that material. Uh, yeah, and, so, and, and how are illustrators uh, taught, I guess, uh, when you were going to school? Because I know when I was in college in art history, it kind of went from the Impressionist to uh, abstract expressionism. You know, we just skipped over the Rockwell and the illustrators. Uh, did you have that same kind of experience? I got skipped over for all. I, I was actually, you know, you're talking about fine art. My my <laughs> training, Jesse, was in fine art painting at Syracuse University. <laughs> so here, you know, like I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't really discover illustrators uh, in, in the terms of the, like a classical sense uh, until I almost left college. Uh, like finding out about like Michael Whale and, uh, you know, obviously there's, illustrators I was exposed to with Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy and comic book art, which is what I grew up with. But like Waterhouse, I, it took me years after, even after school to discover John Waterhouse's work. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that like the, yeah, the, the, the blinders that you, you put on when you study a certain class is like, can be a negative. Uh, you know, I, I, I love figurative work. I love storytelling. I love realism. 
but I wasn't exposed to that much of it uh, in, 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 the, in the illustrator's history. You know, mm-hmm. Howard Pyle, N.C. Wyeth, Harvey Dunn, you know, Norman Rockwell, J.C. Leindecker, right? I mean, all these names that I now roll off my tongue all came after my college experience. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. But, but again, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, like you have to be forced into that, right? To what to learn and to celebrate it, right? Mm-hmm. So here I am now as a professional living in that almost direct lineage of those illustrators, right? But I didn't actually grew up with that that's funny. Uh, I you know right it's like you just I think you fall into it regardless of where you're coming from right because mm-hmm. it is the common uh ground it's a common historical ground that you end up seeking out if you're a storyteller right. yeah um in October 2019 I was lucky enough to sit through one of your uh uh, sessions uh, where you were doing some drawing for uh, for students, um, and oh, like like everyone else, I was just enamored uh, with your technique and delivery and just the excitement you had. And I wondered, uh, do you teach often, or do you find joy in teaching others? Yeah, I, I actually I've been teaching, boy, almost since I left uh, college, uh, and since nine ninety five was my first class that I taught. Wow. So two years after uh, being out of college. Uh, I wasn't a good teacher then. <laughs> I say I'm much better now. But uh, I know like when you saw me, like, you know, that was a few years ago. So I've been teaching then by almost 20 years. Uh, so I'm, yeah, I, I love teaching. Uh, I am currently hosting online classes, mentoring other professionals that are out there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I plan to continue teaching because I, seriously, like I could not be where I am today without those other professionals that took the time to show their skills, open up the doors, show ways of thinking where I am to, you know, their, their ideas and share those with students. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's why, you know, museums I, for me are very important as well. And uh, throughout your career, what's the most important piece of advice you could offer a struggling art student? Wow, uh, be prolific. Just don't stop. Uh, make art, uh, be passionate about it. Make art around things you like. Make, tell stories about things you like. And eventually you'll either find your place where you can make that work as a career or other people will see what you do and bring what you do into what they want to do and, and merge those two together. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just don't stop. Uh, don't, don't be hindered by technical problems. Like I said, like, uh, like I couldn't draw people very well. I kind of faked it and I still <laughs> fake it even now, <laughs> even as a, all right. So it's, uh, you just, like, if you, if you, just don't feel impeded. Just do it. Just do it. Just feel, you know, embrace the clumsiness. You know, I think uh, that's it. And just like, don't, don't feel the, the, the pressures of other people's expectations. Uh, looking back, what, uh, what art artworks that you've created are you most proud of? Uh, I'll, and there's quite a few that, uh, that would sit up there. Um, mostly they, I think, the pieces 
for me that resonate deep are those that speak to the, that idea of storytelling, but also of compassion between characters. So there's a, uh, a graphic novel cover to The Hobbit that I created about 20 years ago. And you know, like I mentioned to you, like, like it's uh, the Tolkien does, it's not about the battles and the big conflict. So what I chose for that cover was Gandalf and Bilbo and the Hobbits as they're all kind of huddled together, working their way through the misty mountains during the rainstorm with the stone giants off in the distance. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a very climactic, it's not even a climactic moment. It's just the drudgery of like trying to survive. Right? It's raining, it's horrible, it's nasty, and, uh, and, but it's human, right? That's what I, that's like, everyone knows that experience of getting caught in a rainstorm. Right, I'm sure you, right? You've had, you've had that, like, and it. So that I wanted to empath have you empathize with Bilbo, what it felt like to go out into the big, big world and and see new things. So that that's that's one of them. That's so, uh, yeah. That's that's the ideas. Yeah, and so you've been in a number of exhibits. You've got, uh, you know, uh, you count, you won countless awards, uh, accolades from your peers. Uh, when I was at LuxCon, you were just swarmed by, uh, you know, students and artists. And yeah, mm -hmm. you you were so humble. You you were kind of taking uh, time with each each person, giving giving them a piece of your time. So what what keeps you that way? What makes you humble after after winning so many awards? Well, I, I'm. I'm not in it for the awards. I mean, the awards are like, are very nice. They're gracious and I appreciate them. But the reason why I make my art is not to win an award. Uh, the, the awards come from people's judgment outside, you know, external judgment of what I'm doing. And again, it goes back to that, like I mentioned about teaching, like the idea of someone gave up their own passion to spend time in the studio to share like a teacher, like to share their ideas, to take time out, to slowly explain things. And I feel like I have a responsibility to give that back and give that, pass that on to another generation of artists and illustrators, you know, storytellers who want to do the same with their own ideas, with their ideas, with their visions. So I, I think I, what I, very much aware of is that I am just one in a lineage uh, of storytellers. Like I am here today because of the storytellers like Rockwell, like storytellers like J.R. Tolkien, right? Who shared their passion and passed along their knowledge. And so it's, uh, I'm hoping that somebody after me, some student that maybe, or some other artist that you know, that gets influenced by walking into the Norman Rockwell, like seeing the show Enchanted, right? Might be a future illustrator, a future storyteller, right? And that's all I need to be happy with. That's my part. Well, that's all the time we have, Donato. Thank you for joining right. us. Oh, uh, you're welcome, for, yes. For more information, check out donatoarts.com and our own websites, nrm.org, illustrationhistory.org, and visit the Rockwell Center for American Studies at rockwell-center.org. As always, don't forget to subscribe to be notified of the latest content. And this has been a production of the Norman Rockwell Museum.